My name is Paul Riley, also known as Political Paul, and this is The Riley Rant, a weekly podcast where we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. Let's rant. Thank you for tuning in to the 16th official episode of The Riley Rant. As was noted in the intro, we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. And if you've been following us, you know that we try to cater our rants to the most pressing, the most relevant, the most recent topics of the day. And if you've been following the news this past week, you'll know that on May 4th, 2017, the Republicans in the House mustered up enough votes to pass the American Health Care Act, which is them essentially trying to repeal and replace Obamacare with new legislation. This is a significant development because if you look back to March, you'll remember that the Republicans had a stinking defeat where they didn't have enough votes from the Republicans, who were the majority in the House of Representatives. And so you have Paul Ryan and Donald Trump and others in the leadership deciding not to even bring the bill up for a vote because there was an understanding that the House Freedom Caucus, the most conservative wing of the Republican Party in the House, that they were not having it, they didn't support the proposal, and for that reason, no vote could be had, because what's worse than no vote is having a vote and having it fail on the House floor. So we saw that stinging defeat, you know, it really frustrated the Trump administration, made Paul Ryan look bad, and there was this talk about bringing it back sometime at the end of the year or maybe in a few weeks, but there was really no understanding of of what exactly would happen or when it would happen. And we heard rumblings about Vice President Pence going to Congress and meeting with individuals and trying to muster up support. But that was sort of at a high level, no real concrete details. And that was until around May 2nd or 3rd, where we got reporting informing us that the Republicans were able to flip two moderates. They now would have 217 votes, which was the the number of votes needed to get the bill passed and pushed onto the Senate. But as we revisit this topic and as we get to a point where healthcare reform is back in the political spotlight, and as we get to a predicament where healthcare reform is more and more likely as it now moves onto the Senate, we have to step back and revisit how we ended up in this predicament, what this means for us, and what impact it will have not only on ourselves and on our family members, but on Americans more broadly. And so I want to take time in this rant to revisit healthcare reform, to equip you with an update on what is going on so that you leave more informed on what is about to happen, and so that you are compelled to act in ways that you feel comfortable to allow your voice to be heard throughout the process. Because as we saw with the failure of the first aspect of the American Health Care Act, we know that that was partially due to the outrage and to the mobilization of the American people, to the pressure applied to moderate Republicans in Congress to bail from the bill. That was part and parcel what allowed for that vote to fail initially. And so there's evidence that placing heat on these elected officials, that applying pressure is effective and it does matter. And so I hope that this episode will give you more of a motivation to stay informed and if you feel comfortable to get involved. 
Maya Angelou met with Oprah Winfrey for a life class interview, a series Oprah Winfrey was putting on. And she said something to her that, that resonated with many and that's been quoted many times afterwards. And it was with respect to understanding individuals, understanding human behavior, and understanding you know failed relationships. And Maya Angelou says to Oprah Winfrey, when people show you who they are, why don't you believe them? Why must you be shown 29 times before you can see who they really are? And that's a fascinating set of questions, and I want to reframe that and place it back to the listener. When the Republicans show us who they are, why don't we believe them? When Donald Trump shows us who he is, why don't we believe him? Why must we be shown time and time and time again before we can see who the Republicans and who Donald Trump, you know, who they really are? And with this American Health Care Act, it provides a clear understanding of who they are and what they seek to accomplish. We see a bill that was jammed through the House of Representatives. We see members voting on a bill who didn't read it. We see a bill that was jammed through without analysis from the Congressional Budget Office. And we see a clear understanding that this bill is so radical. This bill is so extreme. This bill is so far removed from the American people that there's a clear understanding even within the House of Representatives that this bill will not have a shot in the Senate. And despite all of these facts, despite this reality, the Republican Party and Paul Ryan still saw it fit to put this bill up for a House vote, to push this bill onto the American people, to push this bill onto the Senate, even with an understanding that in its current form, it would have a drastic and direct impact, not only on lower income individuals, but on the disabled, on the elderly, and on women. And so when we see a Republican party and a Republican leadership and a Republican president who can tout this uh, success of passing this bill at the Rose Garden, at the White House, when we can see that jubilation and that excitement around stripping coverage from the American people, we no longer have an excuse to be confused. We no longer have an, a right to be surprised because as Maya Angelou perfectly questions uh, Oprah and the question I provided to you is that when people show you who they are why don't you believe them we've been given enough proof we've been giving enough examples to know what we're dealing with and it's up to us to take a stand and say we will not tolerate this and so before going on on this rant I think it's important to step back and to begin to highlight exactly what is in this bill I feel that honestly when doing my last episode on healthcare reform I touched on it but I took a very high level hypothetical view of this would happen if this vote were to make it to the house floor and were to pass but two to three weeks later, in this follow-up episode, we're dealing with a new reality. We're dealing with a bill that is alive and being pushed onto the Senate. We're dealing with a bill that has the potential to be placed into law. And so these realities require us to double down on our understanding of what is at stake so that we are no longer confused about the intent of the Republican Party, so that we are no longer confused about what this will mean for all of us, whether you're on Medicaid or an employer covered insurance. 
Alicia Adamczyk and Elizabeth O'Brien of Time provide a nice overview on some important things you need to know about the American Health Care Act. And I'm not going to touch on all five of their points, but I think they provide a robust and comprehensive and holistic understanding of what this bill seeks to do and what impact it will have on the American people. And so I'm definitely going to leverage their analysis and insight in this next portion of the rant to help educate you on what is at stake if this American Health Care Act is placed into law. What do we know so far about this bill? We know that 24 million individuals are likely to lose coverage by 2026. We understand that premiums are going to rise for seniors primarily because the Republicans are moving away from significant subsidies to help the elderly offset their health insurance costs, and they're moving more towards age-based tax credits. But as I discussed in my previous episode, when you focus on age-based tax credits, it becomes clear that that's not going to be sufficient enough to help the elderly, the disabled, and the most vulnerable in society. Estimates alone show that under Obamacare, Seniors are likely to pay around $1,700 a year in premiums for their health insurance. That's with subsidies, you know, helping to offset the cost of those, those premiums for those seniors. What we know about the American Health Care Act is that those very same seniors are likely to potentially see their premiums rise by as much as $14,600. So an additional twelve dollars to $13,000 uh, would have to be shelled out for health coverage. And as I noted in my last episode, people are not going to realistically give up half of their income because, again, the estimate was based on a senior making around $26,500 a year. So if you're telling a senior that they have to spend half of their income, almost $14,000, on health insurance premiums, they would look at you and say, you know, that's something I cannot possibly do because paying for health insurance would mean that I would have to forego housing I would have to forgo food and clothing just to cover my premiums. So we have an understanding that if this American Health Care Act goes through, rising premiums are going to be put in effect for seniors, and they're oftentimes going to have to forego coverage as they cannot realistically or possibly cover the significantly high premiums of $14,000 a year, which for some is half of their salary, to get health insurance. No, the more realistic option is to forgo that and to try to just pray that you don't get sick, which is so ridiculous to me uh, to think that that's a potential option that we're going to afford to our seniors, the older and more vulnerable uh, segment of our population. It's shocking that we've gotten to this point, and we must all be outraged by the fact that this bill would even entertain the possibility of raising premiums on uh, the elderly in such a drastic way and in such a direct way, which will ultimately affect their life in very material ways. We also know that essential benefits could disappear. And we also know that the plan will gut Medicaid. And lastly, that it will have a negative impact on women. So let's get to essential health benefits. For those of you who aren't familiar with health care, Obamacare essentially mandated that 10 essential health benefits be included in health insurance plans under the Affordable Care Act. And these essential benefits ranged from preventative care to ambulance service to hospitalization. It was basically a set of essential benefits that every plan would have to incorporate to provide comprehensive coverage to the American people. 
And we realized that prior to Obamacare mandating that these essential benefits be included, that the insurance companies and insurance providers were not including them, because if they were, there would not need to be a mandate requiring them to now include it. So we know that prior to Obamacare, insurance companies did not afford their individuals on their plans all of these essential benefits, and that Obamacare forced them to do so. So given this truth, it should be shocking that the American Health Care Act is now going to create a predicament where they're going to allow for states to apply for waivers to opt out of these 10 mandated essential benefits and to craft their own and redefine what essential health benefits will be for their plans. And so if we know that the insurance companies didn't cover these benefits prior to Obamacare, and we know that Obamacare forced them to do so, common sense should then tell us that the ability to allow states to opt out of essential benefits will mean that health insurance companies will be able to return to the previous status quo where they didn't cover these benefits and that they will be incentivized to push out plans that cost less and have fewer benefits, but that drastically and negatively and adversely impact the American people. And so if given the opportunity, I'm of the belief that insurance companies likely won't cover many of these benefits, and they definitely won't cover all 10 of them, but but it's likely that insurance companies won't cover these benefits. If they do cover them, they'll likely charge more. And that's where this big debate comes through around where people are talking about, you know, I'm being punished for having a pre-existing condition. It's because if these essential health benefits are no longer required, then you're basically punishing people for having pre-existing conditions. So as one representative in in Congress was saying, you know, she's suffered from breast cancer and and how these insurance plans, if they eliminated essential benefits around chemotherapy, would punish her for having a pre-existing condition, that being cancer. And so we're seeing that across a diverse set of, of Americans that if you have asthma, if you have cancer, If you are going to give birth, right, these are going to be considered pre-existing conditions and you're going to potentially be penalized for these things, which is something that the essential health benefits mandate under Obamacare would not allow for. And so that's why there's so much outrage and frustration around that. And that's why it's so concerning to think that we're going to move to a plan in which you can eliminate these benefits and ultimately have people on insurance coverage, but but receiving coverage that doesn't really meet their needs in in a direct way, which ultimately makes it ineffective or not as effective as it could be. Another thing to be careful of is assuming that because you are not on Medicaid, because you're not on an entitlement program, you know, of assuming that you're not going to be impacted by this American Health Care Act. And if you're operating under this assumption and thinking in this way, you're in for a rude awakening. And that's because these 10 essential health benefits were also mandated by employers. And so when they provided health insurance plans to their employees, they had to adhere to these 10 essential benefits as well. And so if the American Health Care Act is providing a way for states to opt out of providing these 10 essential health benefits, then it allows for employers to also take advantage of the ability to cut costs by taking on plans that are cheaper and that are likely to cover fewer things. Now, of course, some may argue, well, employers won't do this because they want to maintain a competitive advantage. And so if they try to cut benefits in an extreme way, it's going to often turn off top talent who's going to go to other companies. And so from a purely competitive advantage standpoint, employers have a vested interest in maintaining quality coverage for their 
employees. And so this may not be as big of a, of a concern as you may think. And while that is a fair assessment and competitive advantage is real, I hope that you also will realize uh, just how wild it is to think that you are one executive decision away. You are one board of directors vote away from your essential health benefits being stripped. And of course, you know, companies are going to be mindful of competitive advantage, but we've also seen companies get rid of pensions out of the name of cutting cost. We've also seen companies lay off individuals out of a desire to cut cost. We've also seen a shift in our corporate Fortune 500 mindset where we're moving more to a shareholder mentality, short-term growth over long-term investment and profit maximization to the point where we're so focused on returning as much value as possible to shareholders, boosting revenue, cutting expenditures, uh, that it shouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to consider that companies may take advantage of opting into some of these lower cost, fewer essential benefit-backed plans that will allow them to cut costs and save on their bottom line. So we can debate how likely it is, but the fact that this is even a possibility and the fact that there is a trend of companies at times taking difficult measures to, to, to cut costs, you also are impacted by this. And so don't think that this doesn't affect you because you have employer-provided insurance because you are just as much in, in harm's way in terms of losing essential coverage as those who are on Medicaid and, and seeing this uh, potentially be gutted by billions of dollars. And that provides a nice segue into another aspect of the American Health Care Act, and that's the fact that it's going to seek to cut Medicaid funding by $840 billion over the next 10 years. For those of you who are not familiar with Medicaid, it's a program that helps the elderly. It helps lower income individuals. It helps disabled individuals. And, and even a, a shocking statistic that many of you may not have known is that half of the births in the United States uh, are made possible through Medicaid coverage. And, and so this affects one in four Americans. It affects half of the births ac across the country. And the Republicans are seeking to cut this by $840 billion over the next 10 years. And the craziest part is that they want to cut this by $840 billion over the next 10 years in order to offset the effects of lost revenue that's going to come with their proposed tax cuts for the wealthiest Americans. So in a sense, they're going to cut taxes, which lowers the amount of funding. And to offset that loss of funding, they're going to actually drastically cut Medicaid to balance out uh, their, their desire to cut taxes on the wealthiest Americans. So again, when people show you who they are, believe them. When people act certain ways and protect certain interests, believe them. And lastly, I, I think one important call out is the impact that this will have on women. Alicia and Elizabeth, again, those authors of the, the Time article detailing what to expect with, with the American Health Care Act, you know, they note the waivers for pre-existing conditions and essential health benefits would also disproportionately affect women. Things like maternity and newborn care could be on the chopping block, as well as birth control coverage. Other services that are currently considered preventative care that could change if essential health benefits are rejiggered include breast pumps, domestic violence screening and counseling, mammograms, newborn care, screenings for cervical cancer, STI counseling, and well woman visit. So essentially, as we talked about before, the elimination of these essential health benefits takes out potentially protections around preventative care, which helps men and women have access to health care 
to, for preventive measures to get screenings to check for prostate cancer or for cervical cancer to ensure that you have preventative care to ensure that you are not experiencing the initial effects of a disease all of these essential health benefits that we desperately need are now potentially in jeopardy as states can opt out of it, classifying them as essential benefits, and how insurance companies will now not be forced to cover them, um, just as they did prior to Obamacare, because of the cost or because they don't have a vested interest in, in growing their bottom line. And so this is the reality that we are in today. We're in a situation where the response to Obamacare is a policy that seeks to make Americans worse off, that will increase premiums, that will hurt the elderly, lower-income individuals, the disabled, and women, all in the name of repealing Obamacare, all in the name of knocking back one of the landmark pieces of legislation of Obama and his legacy. They're going to, out of a desire to destroy this, go to great lengths to make people worse off to win political points, to get a W on the board, and to put party over people. A more sensible approach would have been to say, this is not as good as it could be. Obamacare has flaws, and we have to find ways to address those. Uh, but no, the approach was to take drastic cuts to funding to programs, to afford massive tax cuts, even as Warren Buffett notes uh, in an article a couple of days ago about how this bill will really benefit guys like him, you know, billionaires like him with tax cuts. You know, this is the reality that we're in today. And we have to ask ourselves, how do we get into this predicament? We have to understand the dire impact of what will happen if this bill is placed into law. And we have to understand the very real consequences. I don't want to be dramatic. I don't want to over-exaggerate. But people will die by not having access to affordable quality health care to meet the diverse needs that they're going to experience in their life. And so, whether you're a young individual who considers yourself healthy, whether you're uh, an individual suffering from pre-existing conditions, or whether you're an elderly individual, you have to understand that you are going to be impacted by this, and that we all need to live in a country where people are afforded the opportunity to live meaningful, productive, and more importantly, healthy lives that can only come through quality health care. And so our goal as citizens and as leaders in, in the country, our goal should be to expand access, to empower people to have coverage. The, the most ironic aspect of this rollout was that hours after passing the American Health Care Act in the House of Representatives, Donald Trump meets with the Australian Prime Minister, and he says to him, you know, you have much better health care than we do. Um, it's much better for the people. And he was talking about universal health care. And so I think it's just ironic how even the authors and architects and defenders of this bill understands, you know, the very real consequences and how it's not quality health care, how it's actually less than stellar when compared to the health care that our peers in other countries receive. When you look at how much we pay cost per capita in health care expenses compared to our peer nations, it doesn't make sense. And so when people show you who they are, you shouldn't be surprised. When people show you who they are, you shouldn't be confused. You should use it as informative data points to empower you to take action, to be a mobilizer against 
policies that leave not only you and your family worse off, but that leave your aunts and uncles and, and your grandparents and individuals young and old suffering from pre-existing conditions who now have to live with a Congress that is comfortable with cutting benefits, with an administration that is excited, you know, a party in the Rose Garden after the passage in the House of a bill that does more harm to the American people. And as we'll see with the Congressional Congressional Budget Office score is going to, again, reflect that millions of people will be left worse off. What are you going to do to stand up to this ridiculous bill that hurts and harms the elderly, the disabled, the low income, and women? What are you going to do to make your voice heard? Because we can no longer ride the fence on this. We can no longer tolerate agreeable personalities that seek to maintain uh, comfort and to not disrupt the status quo in the system that continues to leave us left wondering how we're going to make ends meet, how we're going to get quality health care. It's up to all of us to, to wake up, to take a stand, to make a change, not only for ourselves, but for our family members, for our neighbors, and for our fellow American citizens who are going to be adversely impacted by this American Health Care Act. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this updated episode around health care reform. What are your thoughts? How did we get to this point? What are you going to do to change the reality that we're living in? These are some trying times, but I am confident that just as we were able to stop and thwart the first uh, attempt at this American Health Care Act, which failed in the House uh, through mobilization on the part of the American people, I'm confident that we can have that same momentum going forward. Your voice has impact. And remember that if it's Sunday, it's time to rant. If it's Sunday, it's the Riley Rant.